Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the land of 15,000 princes. Our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has detained two more women's rights advocates this month and imposed a travel ban on several others. It's an ongoing crackdown in the conservative Muslim kingdom. This is according to Human Rights Watch, which keeps a watch on human rights, hence the name. The arrests come just weeks before the much-hyped lifting of the decades-old ban against women driving. This revives criticism of Crown Prince bin Salman, He'd been halibut, too, but more recently been Salman. Uh, Salman's approach to ambitious reforms as part of his push to diversify the world top oil exporter's economy, apparently. To uh, sell stuff other than oil, you have to be nice to people. Supposedly, the powerful young heir apparent is trying to open up the kingdom by easing strict social rules. But these reforms have been accompanied by a crackdown on dissent. Activists and diplomats have speculated the new wave of arrests may be aimed at appeasing conservative elements opposed to the reforms. And it may be a message to activists, don't push demands out of sync with the government's own agenda. Uh. And Saudi Arabia has sacked the head, not, not sucked the head, sacked the head of its entertainment authority. That's after a Russian circus drew criticism in the kingdom for the presence of women wearing tight costumes. The official Saudi press agency announced that the chairman of the Saudi General Entertainment Authority, Ahmed Al-Khatib, had been removed from his position, citing a royal decree. The uh, a pro-government news website said Al-Khatib was dismissed over the circus performance in Riyadh, which included, included women wearing, quote, indecent clothes. A video circulating on social media appeared appeared to show a female performer in a tight pink costume. Maybe it's the pink, drawing outrage from Saudi conservatives. I don't think they like pink. Al-Khatib had been leading a multi-billion dollar initiative to turn the kingdom into a culture and entertainment hub. It's all it really takes. Buy yourself some culture and then hub it. Don't hug it, though. The uh, entertainment authority announced... A couple months ago, it would hold more than 5,000 festivals and concerts this year and pump $64 billion into the entertainment sector over the coming decade. Why, they're bigger than Netflix. The kingdom has been reeling from the oil slump for the last four years, and so they want to boost domestic spending on entertainment. The Romans were wrong. You don't need bread, just circuses. Hello, welcome to the show. It's a lazy afternoon And the beetle buds are zooming And the tulip trees are blooming And there's not another human in view But
From the edge of America, from the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the godly. Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, he's the former Archbishop of Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. He's been removed from the ministry suddenly this week. Church officials announced he's been credibly accused of sexually abusing a teenager. And, by the way, he'd faced three earlier allegations of sexual misconduct with adults. Spreading it around. McCarrick is now 87, one of the highest-profile Catholic leaders to face accusations of sexual assault, accusations that have dogged the church. There's your dogging for more than 15 years since McCarrick was the archbishop. His removal this week was particularly shocking to many in the Washington Catholic community, according to the Washington Post, since McCarrick helped shape many of the church's policies for responding to the sexual abuse crisis. Fox? Henhouse, anyone? The accusation that prompted the church to remove him from the ministry involves a teenager he's alleged to have abused almost 50 years ago while he was a priest in New York. Additionally, the Archbishop of Newark, Cardinal Tobin, and the Bishop of the Diocese of Matuka, New Jersey, James Cecchio, said this week McCarrick had earlier been accused of sexual misconduct with adults, allegedly committed when he was the leader of those dioceses decades ago. 
two of the, two of the three allegations, they said, led to settlements, like as if they were true or something. In a statement, McCarrick said he learned months ago about the now-adults allegation of abuse that was made public this week. He has, quote, absolutely no recollection of this reported abuse, unquote. While maintaining his innocence, he wrote, in obedience, I accept the decision of the Holy See that I no longer exercise any public ministry, unquote. The Holy See no evil until recently, apparently. McCarrick served as, as well as the only U.S. cardinal, and that's the highest-ranking role in the Catholic hierarchy besides the Pope, to be accused of sexual abuse since this whole thing started. The uh, lawyer representing McCarrick's alleged teenage victim said its client was a 16-year-old student at Cathedral Prep in Queens, in 1971, when he was picked to be an altar server for a special Christmas service at St. Patrick's Cathedral. McCarrick was then a Monsignor in the New York Archdiocese, and he was measuring the teen for a cassock when he unzipped his pants and put his hands in the boy's pants, according to the lawyer. The boy withdrew, and McCarrick told him, let's just not tell anybody about this. The uh, lawyer Patrick Noker said his client believed McCarrick's taking his measurements was a ruse. Preparing for the same Christmas service the next year, McCarrick followed the same teen into uh, a restroom and assaulted him, tried to get his hands into his underwear. The boy had to push him away, said the lawyer. Uh, His client, now in his early 60s, didn't tell church officials about the assaults until the archdiocese created the Independent Reconciliation and Compensation Program two years ago. I'll just measure you for this cassock here. And Dateline Osorno Chile, an emissary of the Pope, asked forgiveness from Roman Catholics in that region of Chile where people bitterly protested the now-resigned bishop who had been a lieutenant of the country's most notorious predator priest. Archbishop Charles Cicluna, Cicluna sorry, said a mass and told worshippers that Pope Francis has given me the task of asking pardon from all of the faithful in the Diocese of Osorno. That's ironic because at one point the Pope had dismissed complaints against Bishop Juan Barros as, quote, stupid, unquote. He switched course after ordering an investigation led by Cicluna and himself meeting with the victims of abuse. We could go as reported here. Francis accepted the resignation of Barros and two other bishops. Barrios was at the center of Chile's growing scandal of clerical sex abuse ever since Francis appointed him bishop three years ago over the objections of the local faithful and the Pope's own sex abuse prevention advisors. The critics questioned Barrios' suitability to lead since he had been a top lieutenant of Chile's most notorious predator priest and had been accused by victims of witnessing and ignoring their abuse by said priest. Talk about your 180s, ladies and gentlemen. News of the Godly, a copyrighted feature of this program. And now, how about how about some news about our friend the Adam? He's clean, he's cheap, he's too safe to be clean. A worker was exposed to dangerously high levels of radiation. That never happens. No, this did happen after an accident on June 5 at a Department of Energy facility in Idaho. At that same facility, there have been Multiple accidents in recent years. So if you want a job at an accident-prone facility, I'll give you the number later in this broadcast. The June incident was not publicly disclosed at the time, 
by the government or by the contractor that runs the site, Fleur, Idaho. But now it has been disclosed by Yahoo News. They have incidentally apparently taken the exclamation point out of Yahoo. I miss I miss the bang. The accident occurred at the radioactive waste management complex run by Fleur, the Department of Energy contractor. Part of the Department of Energy's 890-square-mile Idaho site, which includes facilities used for research and nuclear waste storage, as well as the Idaho National Laboratory Research and Development Center. The site had been used by the federal government for nuclear waste disposal since the 1950s. In recent years, it's been uh, the target of concerns from state officials and watchdog groups alarmed at the volume of radioactive material being held there. If you notice Idaho glowing in the night, Eric Sampson, a, a Simpson of Simpson, eh? a spokesperson for Floor Idaho, told Yahoo News that the company is conducting an investigation of the event and the Energy Department is monitoring the activities of the contractor. The affected worker, he said, said Simpson, Simpson, nuclear power, eh? The affected worker was wearing the prescribed personnel protective equipment, PPE, for the job task. As the worker was reaching across the glove box tray, the worker felt a prick in the forearm. The employee immediately stopped work and discovered a puncture wound had penetrated the PPE. The worker was not named, but medical attention was provided and the worker was able to return to work. Because the incident occurred in a radiological area, applicable protocols were initiated, including radiological monitoring. The employee was released back to work and will continue to be monitored, said Simpson. As a result of the incident, a stop work has been declared on radiological work in glove boxes and in other radiologically contaminated locations that involve the use of sharp tools. This will continue, the stopping, the stopping will continue uh, as the contractor investigates the incident and evaluates the personal protective equipment. A friend of the worker detailed the situation in a series of Facebook posts. The accident occurred, according to the friend, when a piece of metal cut through the worker's hazardous material suit and lab coat. The friend described the incident as a freak event and said the worker underwent surgery on her forearm, which was the penetration site. Pardon me. The worker was also treated with chelation therapy to flush her of plutonium and americium, her friend said. Representatives from Washington, D.C. came to observe the treatment, according to the worker's friend. None of her loved ones can go back due to security clearance and safety reasons, unquote, according to the friend. The friend refused to discuss the incident with Yahoo News after posting these comments on Facebook, and the worker could not be reached for comment, nor could the Department of Energy. This uh, comes on the heels of a situation at the same complex three months, two months ago, when four barrels containing radioactive sludge ruptured. You don't want your sludge barrels rupturing anywhere, especially radioactive ones. Rupture-proof sludge barrels is what I'm envisioning. But I always dream of the future. No one was injured in an article published in a local paper. The president of Fleur, Idaho, said personnel who responded did an outstanding job. He argued there was no cause for alarm since the facility was, quote, designed for this kind of work. Sludge barrel rupturing repair? It is no, my, by no means a showstopper with respect to our mission to characterize, treat, repackage, and ship wastes out of Idaho, said the president of Fleur. 
But the Idaho site has generated opposition from local officials and watchdog groups. The DOE, the Department of Energy, has missed multiple deadlines to move waste out of Idaho. Hey, waste likes it in Idaho. It's got skiing and and uh, has paid, the Department of Energy has, Energy has paid approximately $3.5 million in fines for missing those deadlines. Somebody pays a fine for missing a deadline? Wow. The state has blocked the DOE from bringing research quantities of spent nuclear fuel to the site as a result of one of the missed deadlines. Man, the Department of Energy's risks are going to start tingling moments from now. Some of the opposition to further waste shipments stem from a series of safety incidents at the Idaho complex. In 2011, there was a high-profile incident at the Idaho National Laboratory. Sixteen employees were exposed to plutonium dust. That accident led to multiple lawsuits and an Energy Department probe, hopefully without sharp objects. A report by the Center for Public Integrity found that that 2011 incident came after warnings from staffers about dangerous conditions at the facility. Why would you believe those? Uh, The Center for Public Integrity also found that the 2011 incident was preceded by two other serious instances of radioactive contamination at the lab, and it was followed by two additional avoidable radioactive contaminations there. Despite these issues, the Department of Energy is planning to ship 7,000 cubic meters of nuclear waste from a site in Washington, apparently Washington State, to the lab. Because it's clean, it's cheap, it's safe. And where else can we put it? Tons of our friend, the atom.
você falasse amor Minha princesa, ar no Da natureza, tudo mais Pura beleza, já nas. A luz de um grande prazer É irremediável, neon Quando o grito do prazer Açoitar o ar And now, ladies and gentlemen, very, 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 very. Security researchers say they can back up a mother's claim that her baby monitor had been remotely hacked and used to spy on her family. Think of the children. Well, don't think of the children. Listen in on them. This is from the Register. The tech website in Britain. A consulting firm called SEC Consult said it found flaws in the Freddy Wi-Fi baby monitor. It's got a cute name that would allow an outside attacker to remotely connect to the device and use its built-in camera without authorization or authentication. The register has contacted the company that makes the Freddy for comment. Has yet to hear back. They're busy listening. Can't, can't talk. We're listening to babies. According to the researchers, the monitors are using poor security practices when connecting to the online portal that allows parents to view the monitors on either their laptops or their mobile devices. That leaves them, them the devices, prone to be hijacked by hackers who could then use the cameras to spy on people. You see. Such was the case with Jamie Summit, a mother from South Carolina, who complained her monitor's camera was panning the room on its own. After she discovered the activity, the uh, camera locked her out from the control panel. It makes me kind of sick to think what kind of stuff the person may have seen and could still be out there, Summit said. I'm supposed to protect my son. I feel like I failed him. Think of the children. What will we tell the children? We'll tell them they're being watched. The security shop's researchers decided to look into the matter, and they found that the P2P, that's peer-to-peer service, connects directly to the cloud and can be accessed with no more than an eight-digit device number and a shared default password. In other words, someone could go to the online portal, enter random numbers with a default password, and pull up camera feeds. Unfortunately, the device ID does not look very secure, the researchers wrote. Plus... The default password is neither randomly generated nor device-specific. Password 1234. 
Unless the user has changed the password to a secure one, anyone can log in and interact with the camera by trying different cloud IDs. That's right. Now, in addition to changing the passwords on your computer, your tablet, your phone, your light bulbs, your doorbell, your toaster, your baby monitor. You got time for anything else? In addition to being kind of creepy, SEC Consult notes that the insecure monitors are also providing a wide-open door to their owners' home networks to invite further attacks. Let's connect it all. The PTP Cloud feature bypasses firewalls and effectively allows remote connections into private networks. Now attackers can not only attack devices that have been exposed to the web, but a large number of devices that are exposed by a, the PTP, P2P Cloud. Researchers note this does not appear to be an isolated incident. The Chinese company that provided the firmware for the Frady Monitor makes generic camera control apps for a number of devices. Its insecure portal is likely used on other appliances. Quote, it seems that consumer electronics with opaque supply chains paired with insecure built-in cloud features that are enabled by default will keep us busy in the future, said the security consultants. Users are advised to use some basic practices, like don't use this crap. Oh, sorry. No, like immediately changing default passwords and keeping an eye out for suspicious hardware activity and network traffic when you're using your baby monitor. Yeah, the, the, the mom can look at the baby and the dad can watch out for suspicious network traffic. That sounds like a smart marriage. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to uh, catch up on... Well, it, it has not been a, a, a quiet week in Lake Won't Be Gone, home of <laughs> President Trump. Uh, the doors blew off this week, kind of, mainly as a result of um, a new policy instituted, instituted as I say, by um, Attorney General Jeff Sessions... Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions, to you, Uh, back in April, a zero-tolerance policy regarding immigration of uh, people who are uh, undocumented across the uh, southern border of the United States of America. During previous administrations, prosecutions of people who entered uh, illegally that way were done on a case-by-case basis or evaluated on a case-by-case basis. So zero-tolerance meant, nope, we're prosecuting them all. Given the um, logistical realities of prosecuting people who came across the border encumbered by their children or somebody's children, of course, the administration claims there's a lot of child smuggling going on. But anyway, uh, those realities dictated that uh, the children be separated from the parents who were being held for prosecutions. Hence what we saw this week. Video, and uh, in one case, audio, of children separated from their parents being held in uh, detention centers, which uh, gave the word improv a bad name, and uh, a blowback that included not just Judd Apatow and Seth MacFarlane, as if that's not enough. The Pope... And Ted Cruz, 
and um, lots of other Republicans, uh, a wave of blowback strong enough, including Melania Trump and Ivanka Trump, reportedly, from inside the White House, that the uh, (laughs) president did something he doesn't normally do in public very often. He changed his mind. Well, he changed something. He issued an executive order which on Wednesday, which um, careful readers of the order said really didn't change much, but it changed at least the appearance of the administration's policy, although he uh, at the same time ramped up the uh, rhetoric against Democrats, whom he blamed for the problem in the first place, and had a, a, a meeting on Friday with the parents of uh, relatives of people who had been killed by undocumented immigrants to say these people were separated from their loved ones permanently. But behind the scenes, the uh, Telegraph reports from way over there across the pond that Immigration and Customs Enforcement has issued a notice that it may seek up to 15,000 beds to detain immigrant families because the new policy would call for families to be kept together while the parents are being processed or evaluated for asylum or being prosecuted for illegal entry. Tom? Illegal entry? Mm-hmm. Federal agencies have been searching for possible locations. The Department of Health and Human Services says the government's considering using a disused Department of Agriculture property in Arkansas. One wonders what use it has been disused from. But I bet it smells good, as well as Little Rock Air Force Base. The Telegraph also reports this interesting factoid, the interest in housing lots more detainees as families, has sent shares in two private prison companies rising. Shares in Core Civic have jumped 11.2% in the past four days, while GEO marked its fifth straight day of gains, including a 6.6% rise since the executive order was signed by <laughs> President Trump. And um, it kind of hung a couple of administration officials out to dry, the uh, apparent 180. One was Jeff Sessions, his own self, his own bad self, who had said uh, within living memory that the policy was deliberately to separate families from their children as a deterrent to keep people to keep people thinking hard about maybe they shouldn't cross the border illegally. And Kristen Nielsen, the head of the Department of Homeland Security, whom Trump was reported to have berated a few weeks ago for not being tougher on the border, uh, she now was the the voice of toughness as this new policy took effect, and uh, its effect took effect. And uh, she now looks bewildered as uh, she and other administration officials attempt to deal with the question how to find the more than 2,000 youngsters who were separated from their families and to reunite them with said families. 
In the meantime, the administration's compassion initiative takes other forms. This is Elizondo. His mother took him and his sister Hortensia away from their home in Guatemala. Or was she really his mother? Next thing he knew, he was in Texas, riding in a stranger's truck. Now, he doesn't know where he is. And neither do we, even though we're responsible for him. But here's what we do know. For only four cents a day, Elizondo could have one piece of good news in his young life. No more head lice. That's the gift you could give right now to Elizondo and Hortensia and thousands of others who, through no fault of their own, are accessories to misdemeanors. You can't give him better food or the ability to make more than two phone calls a week. But you can give him head lice free days with just one phone call, one click to shave the children. We're a U.S. government-sanctioned charity-like organization whose one purpose is to give these young visitors something they may have never known before. Complete scalp hygiene. But head lice won't wait for you to call. More children are joining Elizondo and Hortensia every day. Sharing beds. Sharing toys. Sharing lawyers. If their mother could talk to you, or anyone, she'd have one request. Please call or click at Shave the Children. Four cents a day is not too much to give Elizondo and Hortensia what they need. A better head start. If it is, try three cents, and we'll use older shavers. But act now. Thanks to judges who just don't care, these children may be moved again tomorrow. And they'll take only one thing with them. Head lice. Won't you give two minutes to make the call? Or one minute to visit the website? Or 30 seconds to download the app? You'll feel so much better. And so will they. Remember, Shave the Children is a non-profit registered for your protection in Grand Cayman Island. And every penny of your four cents a day goes to help Elizondo and Hortensia after basic expenses like travel and office supplies and dinners for our vendors. Children like these aren't our kids, but even with the tightest security, our kids could come in contact with them. So for all those who look to you for help, call or click Shave the Children before this commercial ends. It will keep on going just a bit longer, so call or click now. Elizondo and Hortensia thank you. And so does the government, which made shave the children possible, as well as necessary. Thank you. Shave the Children is not affiliated or connected in any way with Save the Children, which is a real foundation. Cherokee Louise is hiding in this tunnel in the Broadway. Crawling on our knees, we've got flashlights and batteries, we've got cold 
cuts from the fridge Last year, about this time We used to climb up in the branches Just to sway there in some breeze Now the cops on the street They won my Cherokee Up his zipper and he yanks her to her knees. Oh, please be here, please, my friend, Cherokee Louis. Cherokee
Now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? No, I haven't yet. I'm just about to. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. This is me now listening to the warm with you. Um, this week, the Joint Research Center of the European Commission, that is a commission in Europe, published a new edition of the World Atlas of Desertification, not desertification, not, not places to get dessert, a tool for decision makers to improve local responses to soil loss and land degradation, desertification as in becoming desert. The Atlas provides the first comprehensive evidence-based assessment of land degradation at a global level and highlights the urgency to adopt corrective measures. Good luck with that. The uh, Commissioner for Education, Youth, and Sport, responsible for the Joint Research Center, said over the past 20 years since the last publication of the World Atlas, pressures on land and soil have increased dramatically to preserve our planet for future generations. He continued... We urgently need to change the way we treat these precious resources. This new and much more advanced edition of the Atlas gives policymakers worldwide comprehensive and easily accessible insights into land degradation, its causes, and potential remedies. Unquote. The Atlas provides examples of how human activity, imagine this, drives species to extinction, threatens food security, intensifies climate change, and leads to people being displaced from their homes. Good job, sapiens. The main findings show that population growth and changes in our consumption patterns put unprecedented pressure on the planet's natural resources. Over 75% of the Earth's land area is already degraded. Over 90% could become degraded by 2050. Globally, a total area half the size of the European Union is degraded annually. With Africa and Asia being the most affected, the economic cost of soil degradation for the EU is estimated to be... On the order of tens of billions of euros annually. That could, add, that could add up to real money someday. Land degradation and climate change are estimated to lead to a reduction in global crop yields by about 10% by 2050, mainly in India, China, and sub-Saharan Africa, where land degradation could cut crop production in half. As a consequence of accelerated deforestation, it will become more difficult to mitigate the effects of climate change. By 2050, up to 700 million people will have been displaced due to issues linked to scarce land resources. The figure could go to 10 billion by the end of this century. we got to make some more people so they can get displaced. While land degradation is a global problem, it takes place locally and requires local solution. Further agricultural expansion, one of the main causes of land degradation, could be limited by increasing yields or on existing farmland, shifting to plant-based diets, consuming animal proteins from sustainable sources, and reducing food loss and waste. Check out how much food we all throw out every day. Go to the back of a supermarket sometime. Plunging prices for renewable energy and rapidly increasing investment in low-carbon technologies could leave fossil fuel companies with trillions of dollars in stranded assets, sparking a global financial crisis. This is a result of a new study. What they've found a sudden drop in demand for fossil fuels before 2035 is likely, according to the study, given the current global investments and economic advantages to a low carbon transition. 
reports the Guardian. The existence of a carbon bubble, assets and fossil fuels that are currently overvalued because in the medium and especially long term, the world will have to drastically reduce greenhouse gas emissions, has long been proposed by academics, activists and investors. The new study published this week in the journal Nature Climate Change shows that a sharp slump in the value of fossil fuels would cause this bubble to burst. It posits that such a slump is likely before 2035, based on current patterns of energy use. No, don't all rush to the exits. And the identification, this is the good news of the warm this week, the identification of small oases in the world's oceans where corals appear to be thriving could offer vital insights in trying to save one of the world's world's most threatened ecosystems. International team of academics, including Dr. James Guest, no relation, from Newcastle University, Newcastle University, has developed a framework that can identify small communities of corals that are flourishing against the odds while so many around the world are dying. Using data from sites that have been surveyed for at least a decade, the research team identified small pockets of life where the coral appeared to be either escaping, resisting, or rebounding from changes to their environment. Published their findings in the Journal of Applied Ecology, the team hopes these new findings will encourage further study into why these small communities of corals are surviving while so many more are not and inspire efforts to identify similar oases in other ecosystems. And methane leaks from the U.S. oil and gas industry are 60% greater than official estimates, according to an analysis of previously reported data and new measurements. This according to Nature. Because methane is a potent greenhouse gas, scientists say the unaccounted-for emissions could have significant impacts on the climate and the country's economy. The lost gas alone is worth an estimated $2 billion a year. Hey, that is real money. The analysis was published in Science. There's Nature reporting on Science. One of the most comprehensive looks yet at methane output from U.S. oil and gas production, reinforcing previous studies that suggested emissions far outpace government estimates. That research prompted the U.S. government to develop regulations that would restrict methane emissions from oil and gas production, rules that (laughs) President Trump is now attempting to roll back. The latest study shows that the U.S. oil and gas supply chain emits about 13 million metric tons of methane, Every year, much higher than the EPA's estimate of about 8 million. This probably stems from the fact that the EPA's survey misses potential sources, such as faulty equipment at oil and gas facilities. Why would you look at those? News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of our broadcast. And now, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Okay, strap in. There's a bunch of them. A university has apologized after sending students a quote by a Nazi general as part of a career advice email. A quote from Erwin Rommel, one cannot permit unique opportunities to slip by for the sake of trifles, was dispatched internally at uh, Exeter University, according to the Falmouth packet. Falmouth, Falmouth, not Falmouth. Spokesman for the University of Exeter said it had been chosen from a public and free database that automatically suggests relevant quotes. It was chosen in error by someone who didn't recognize the name attributed to it. In no way intentional, however, we apologize unreservedly for any offense it may have caused and have put additional processes in place to ensure that doesn't happen again. What, like education for your staff? Thomas Markle, the father of the Duchess of Sussex, has attempted to soften his relationship with the British media. He gave a wide-ranging interview about his daughter's wedding. The retired lighting director who lives in Mexico 
um, was caught up in a uh, publicity thing in the UK after he was caught staging photos of himself. He admitted the scheme to TMZ and shared his frustration that his life had been chopped up into snapshots and sold to the public, depicting him as a slob. So I thought this would be a nice way of improving my look. While that all went to hell, I feel bad about it. I apologize for it. And that's all I can do, he said. He had a photographer take pictures of him reading up on British landmarks. The Daily Mail, which paid for and ran the images, later reported the photos were staged. Suggesting you should not trust the Daily Mail? Fast food company Burger King Russia has been forced to apologize after an advertisement offered Russian women the chance to win $47,000 and free Whoppers for life if they got impregnated by a World Cup player. Campaign was promoted via social media platform VK, Russia's equivalent of Facebook, before being pulled down after a flurry of angry responses from the public. Burger King Russia then released an apology on VK saying they had removed all materials related to the campaign, calling it insulting. The uh, wave of Hollywood people getting good marks for their criticism of President Trump, <laughs> President Trump uh, got notched up a little bit more this week. The Secret, Ser- Secret Service has been all alerted in response to a tweet by actor Peter Fonda, who said, quote, we should rip Baron Trump, that's uh, Trump's youngest son, from his mother's arms and put him in a cage with pedophiles and see if mother will stand up against the giant a-hole she's married to. 90 million people in the streets on the same weekend in the country. F, Fonda wrote in a tweet, which has since been deleted. And the F wasn't for Fonda. Melania Trump's communications director called the tweet sick and irresponsible. Fonda later apologized. I tweeted something highly inappropriate and vulgar about the president and his family in response to the devastating images I was seeing on television. Like many Americans, I'm very impassioned and distraught over the situation with children separated with their fam- from their families, but I went way too far. It was wrong, and I should not have done it. I immediately regretted it and sincerely apologized to the family for what I said, and any hurt my words have caused, may have caused. Unquote. An uneasy writer. Deadline Washington, former CIA director Michael Hayden, another former intelligence official we, whose uh, history of public prevarication we seem to have forgotten now in the rush to embrace them as truth-tellers. He said his tweet invoking a Nazi concentration camp to criticize the separation of families at the border was a warning of where the country could be headed. I was trying to point out we need to be careful not to move in that direction. He tweeted a photo of Birkenau concentration camp. He said, if I uh, overachieved by comparing the current situation to Birkenau, I apologize to anyone who may have felt offended. A apology. Rachel Maddow broke down in tears late Tuesday while trying to deliver a report on the situation at the border. She was live on air when she tried to read the uh, Associated Press story on tender age shelters. I think I'm going to hand this off. Sorry, that does it for us tonight. We'll see you tomorrow, she said, choking back tears. I'm sorry, she tweeted later, adding, if nothing else, it is my job to actually be, be able to speak while I'm on TV. Again, I apologize for losing it there for a moment. Not the way I intended that to go. Not by a mile. Unquote. Rachel. Deadline Daily City, California flag-raising ceremony marked the 120th Philippine Independence Day. But a prominent California lawmaker found it the right time to apologize for the shortcomings of the U.S. to the country it colonized. Don't hear that word a lot. 
In her speech, U.S. Representative for California's 14th Congressional District, Jackie Spire admitted that during the time that Filipinos were struggling to get away from the colonizers like Spain, Japan, and Americans themselves, quote, the United States was not a good actor during all of this. I want to pay a special tribute to all the Filipino Americans and the Filipino nationals to say that I apologize on behalf of our country for our shabby activities during many of those years. It is part of the history of this country of many of us, especially the younger generation, may not be familiar with, Spire said. Apologizing for America again. Dayline Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania, Bishop Joseph Bambera apologized this week to victims ahead of a grand jury report expected to detail child sexual abuse by Catholic priests and attempts to conceal it. In a written message published in church bulletins, the bishop offered his deepest apologies to the victims of such abuse, to their families, to the faithful of our church, and to everyone impacted by the behaviors described in this report. Charleston, the South Carolina port city, where about 40% of enslaved Africans who were brought to North America landed after being taken from their homelands, has become the latest city to apologize for its role in the slave trade in an emotional and at times heated meeting. Before a standing room-only crowd, the Charleston City Council approved a two-page resolution in City Hall, a structure built by slaves, approved by voice vote, met with loud cheers, recognizing that the city had flourished at the cost of those enslaved and apologized on behalf of the city for its role in the trade. It also acknowledged wrongs committed against African Americans by slavery and Jim Crow laws. Officials with Chicago Public Schools are apologizing for what they said is a data breach exposing private information belonging to thousands of families of students. An employee emailed emailed private student information to more than 3,700 families. It included names, email addresses, phone, and student identification numbers. They were told later that their information was compromised. Officials are calling the error unacceptable and said the employee who sent the email will be fired. Well, what's his address? Why don't you just make his... Information public and, you know, save everybody. That The City Council of Annapolis, Maryland, passed a resolution Monday night apologizing for lynchings of African-American men and other racial injustices that took place over the history of Annapolis and the county that su- surrounds it. The head of Netflix has told his staff he needs to set a better example after firing the company's head of communications for twice using the N-word during work meetings. He decided to let go of Jonathan Friedland for using the slur in a, quote, descriptive sense. He first used the word several months ago during a discussion about offensive words in comedy. And again, a few months later, a few days later, during a conversation with two black colleagues. Um, if, if Reed could uh, just give me a, a memo with some more words that are offensive in comedy, I'd appreciate it. And the designer of the online quiz at the center of the Cambridge Analytica data use scandal apologized this week for his role in the story, saying he believed the way his team used the app to gather information on Facebook users and their friends was nothing unusual. We thought collecting data like we did was completely normal, accepted, and that people whose data was being collected and transferred knew that it was regularly happening, Dr. Alexander Kogan told senators in Washington. Testifying. Testify. Kogan said it is science fiction to believe the profiles the companies the company built were reliable enough to convince people to vote for a candidate they would not have normally supported. The data is entirely ineffective for micro-targeting, and I believe psychographics as a whole is a dead end for this purpose. He said the application was only able to identify correctly the five personality traits it was built to predict in 1% of users. He said Facebook's existing ad targeting services would have been much more effective for Cambridge Analytica's purposes than the data pulled from his quiz. 
Cambridge Apologetica, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show, but the program will return around a week from now, around the same time, or on this audio device of your choice. And it would be just like you choosing to do that, if you would agree to be with me then. Would you? It's, that's tautological in the extreme, I believe, and redundant to boot. But would you do that? Would you do that? Already, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile in Hawaii desk. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, a playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get tar- Cars I Talk t-shirts for that cookout, all at harryshearer.com. And, uh, yes, I persist in being on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. By the way, you can also follow Derek Smalls on Twitter at Small's Life. And a farewell tip of the show chapeau to uh, the great David Bianco who produced so many wonderful records and was a friend to so many great artists. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station, the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless. <laughs>